Welcome to the Out of Bounds Sports Podcast. Come with us, Out of Bounds, as we discuss and debate the latest topics in the world of sports. We have a great show ahead, so let's get to it. Welcome to the Out of Bounds Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Harrison. This podcast is the full show for today's episode. We have a great show lined up. Thank you for listening. Sports Podcast, the sports podcast where we dive into current and up-to-date sports topics. I'm your host, Corey Harrison. On my show, you will hear from me and other podcasters like myself sharing their personal feelings about sports news and updates. There won't be any experts, just honest opinions and debates. In today's episode, I will give my thoughts on the M. Dalton signing in Dallas. I would also unpack my thoughts on the Last Dance documentary. A lot to get to today, so let's dive right into it. So as stated in the introduction to the show, I want to talk first about the Andy Dalton signing. Now, as everyone knows me, I'm a big time Cowboys fan. I love the Cowboys, just like I love the Lakers. So I want to kind of dive into this signing from my perspective. Now, I started following the Cowboys you know, a long time ago when I was, um, you know, it's, I think I was like eight years old whenever, um, I first got introduced to the Cowboys and and I, I got introduced to the Cowboys from my grandfather. My grandfather would watch games on Sunday and just spending that time with him watching Cowboy games. And it's it's just it's just one of those things where it just you think about that and the the times of you know being there with him and having that time with him, you just want to have those 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 times back. Um I really enjoyed being able to sit down and, and watch games with him. I would do anything right now to be able to, you know, talk to him about the Cowboys and what's going on with them. But I want to uh, kind of dive into this Andy Dalton thing first. Now, from Andy Dalton's perspective, from what I hear from multiple sources, he's accepting a pure backup role. Now, this kind of debunks what a lot of experts are thinking because when – the initial report came out that Andy was signing with the Dallas Cowboys. Initially, you have to, you know, think that this is going to be Dak's replacement if contract talks don't ramp up. And I, for one, was one of those those people because right now they're at an impasse, at a stalemate when it comes to the contractual talks. Um, the agent that represents Dak hasn't really been helpful when it came to, you know, progressing these, these talks from Dak's perspective. um, He hasn't been the athlete that you would notice that would gravitate to ownership or be willing to, you know, bend on his demands of the contract. And then to my knowledge, uh, we've heard numbers come out, you know, in north of 35 million, you know, close to 40 million. Um, but we haven't really definitively heard Dak's asking price. Those are kind of things that we've kind of been, you know, drawing towards on our own because of, you know, just going by what he's declined already. Now, when we talk Andy Dalton, we're talking about an established NFL starter. He spent nine seasons in Cincinnati. He is a Texas product. He's 32 years old, Katy, Texas. He went to TCU. The last season, he was in a Bengals uniform. Um, he amassed 3,000, over 3,000 yards passing, 16 touchdowns with 14 interceptions with a QBR rating of 78.3. Not eye-catching numbers. For his career, he's over 31,000 yards passing. Um, he's thrown 204 touchdowns, 118 interceptions, uh, with an overall pass rating of 87.5. Now, for me, the signing made sense because we haven't even seen anything from the current backup that has since been released in Cooper Rush. 
So to have that established backup that know their role, it's not really contending for the starter position. It made sense. Business-wise, it just seems like we're just, you know, checking all the boxes and in this offseason. I'm really satisfied with the way the offseason has progressed. Love draft picks. Um, I was lukewarm when it came to the, the Mike McCarthy signing, but I'm open to it. And the only reason why I think is because I'm just more so biased to the desk catch situation. I just need to get over it. But it was a catch, nevertheless. And if you want to debate me, um, you can, you know, inbox me, uh, reach out to me if, if, um, if you need to. But we can talk about it. That was a catch. Um, I, I feel like we had a good, strong chance of beating Seattle because we've beaten them already. Um, I think that we would have been able to march to that Super Bowl and had a good chance of winning it. But we were robbed. I think that they should have replayed it, something. But I won't get too far into that. I don't want to let my emotions towards that catch situation take over the show. But just going back to Andy Dalton, um, he was released by the Bengals. And they drafted Joe Burrow. Now, from a quarterback's perspective, or just even, we're going to take it down a little bit, not even a quarterback's perspective, just as a business. They were unsatisfied with the production they had on the field and Andy's play and wanted to move on. The number one draft pick was awarded to the Cincinnati Bengals on Andy Dalton's watch. Now, I'm not gonna lie, I haven't really seen a whole lot of Andy Dalton play. I'm just going based off the basics, what I know. He's an established NFL starter. He's been in this league for nine years. He knows what it's like to win football games. He's been in the playoffs. Um, he's had a winning record. He was well coached by uh, the great Marvin Lewis. I like Marvin Lewis. We, we had an interview with him, and I think it was just a Rooney rule um, checkbox. But I would have been more um, happy with that signing, you know, if we were able to get Marvin. And it just would have been a great fit if we were able to get Marvin and Andy. But we got Mike McCarthy. He was a Green Bay Packers coach. So, you know, being a Dallas Cowboy fan, I can't really rock with Green Bay. Um, but I do respect um, the great play of Aaron Rodgers. Great quarterback, transcendent quarterback, best throw of the football in my generation. But uh, just unpacking this um, this deal with Andy Dalton with the Cowboys, um, it's a guaranteed three million dollars. Didn't really cost Dallas a whole whole lot of money. Um, the deal is worth uh, seven million dollars total. That's with um, you know incentives and everything else. Um, Jerry Jones um, really, really outdone himself on this this deal, I believe. Um, just, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to, you know, be a great fit for them if um, Andy actually understands that this is that this is in fact a backup role. Um, it's going to be great. We're going to have a really great season with having a solidified backup quarterback because when Tony, Tony Romo um, was injured that last year, there, there wasn't much talk about secession planning. They drafted that in the seventh round, I believe, no fourth round, I believe um, in his draft. And he wasn't supposed to be a successor. He wasn't supposed to 
uh, ascend to the face of the franchise. Um, we was, you know, pretty much riding high with Tony Romo at the helm. And so when Dak was able to come in, expectations were low. Didn't really expect a lot. Tony was injured, but Dak held down the fort. He was rookie of the year. Um, we made the playoffs, had a great record. Um, you know, he outdone himself. Like, he overachieved expectations, and we got him in the fourth round. You know, then he followed up the, the following season, you know, in which he's still to this day hasn't missed a football game due to injuries. He's been consistent, which is good um, to have that you know, in the quarterback position. But here's the thing. The questions I have, burning questions I have. Is Dak Prescott worth the asking price? Is Dak Prescott the quarterback that will lead us to the, the Super Bowl? These are these are the questions that I'm having. And it's really hard for me to answer those questions because this is something that we haven't been able to accomplish yet. Now, running a football organization, it's hard. There's a lot of things that they have to, you know, consider. You know, basically trying to make a playoff push and ultimately get to a, a Super Bowl. Haven't been to a Super Bowl over 20-something years. It's it's time. I kind of understand both situations, both sides. That side, I've performed. I've outperformed my contract. I was on a rookie deal, and I over overachieved expectations. Because again, it wasn't a lot of expectations coming out of the fourth round of the draft. But he's been able to perform. Ownership wants him to take a substantial discount from what he's asking for. And he's not really willing to do that because I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've um, had over 5,000 yards in passing the previous season. I haven't been injured. You've gotten to the playoffs, won a playoff game. He has that on his resume. Now, with that being said, I get it. You know, I've done everything you've asked me. What's the hold up? But then when eight and eight comes, you're supposed to change life in Dallas. We got you, Amari Cooper which is another thing in itself. Mari has um, underperformed in, in, in great situations too. I think we could have done a lot better had um, we haven't had lapses on the road with Amari Cooper, which makes the C.D. Lamb situation a whole lot glamorous for me because uh, we do have Gallup, which is a great wide receiver as well. He's up and coming. He's on the rise. I think we're we have a great group of wide receiver core. Um, but we we just paid Amari Cooper hundred million dollars. Way overpaid Amari. Way overpaid. I think he probably still having nightmares of the Stephon Gilmore game, which. He completely locked him up, completely. And I believe Amari is maybe like 25, 26 years old. Very young, but talented. I mean, he's an Alabama product. He, you know, is magnificent, magnificent with his feet, footwork. Um, like, break route, like everything is, he's the best route runner. And... 
I enjoy watching him play when he's at playing at a high level. But you don't really get that consistency from Amari Cooper, which kind of hurts Dak a little bit because you, you have this receiver that was supposed to be, you know, changed life for you, which when they actually got Amari Cooper, whenever um, Dak was, Dak was struggling whenever they wasn't, you know, they, with the Dez Bryant situation, because Dez wasn't really producing um, like we wanted him to do either. And so whenever they got Amari, they just took off that, that, situation between Amari and that, that connection that they had early on, right, right off the bat. I mean, we was marching towards the playoffs. We did really, really well that season. And you could just see the the overall potential of what he could be, you know, following up the, the, the next season um, after that, which was, I believe the, our, our eight and eight campaign, which we had Dak and Amari for a full season. It wasn't, it didn't look good. We didn't do good on both either side of the football. Um, we were banged up. The line was banged up. Defense was banged up, and it was just it was just so many things that we needed to address in this draft when you know coming up. And I believe that we filled the holes that we need to fill. Uh, we do have the. Um, the great edge rushers that we're hoping to get some production out of. Um, we might have replaced the Byron Jones situation within the draft as well. Um, we did get some some great pickups on the defense side of the football. Uh, I don't want to veer off topic too much. You know, I don't. I just want to kind of you know touch on the that Prescott situation. And then going back to the Andy Dalton situation, um, you know, they didn't really, you know, pay a whole lot of money for him to, to come to Dallas. Um, now, he, he did decide to uh, not take meetings with the Patriots or the Jaguars, which were in kind of a need of a, of a quarterback. Um, he joins a team with a already established starter, which raises a lot of eyebrows, like I previously stated. Um, you know, just considering that Dak is in the middle of a contract negotiations with the front office, I just think that it's just it's kind of concerning. I think that for Andy Dalton, it was a win-win for him because he gets to remain at his in his home state. He has a home in Dallas. It's just overall good for him, but it just it I just I guess it just raises just too many red flags. You know, why would they? end up signing an established quarterback such as Andy Dalton. He's been a nine-year vet in the NFL. And I think the transition to Andy would be seamless if um, we're, we're, we're not able to get the deal done with that. Or, in the, or you know, it's twofold. So if he get injured, we got Andy Dalton. And I would have been a lot – and I'm, I'm – well, I'm in a lot more comfortable – with Andy Dalton than I am with Cooper Rush. A lot of people probably don't even know who Cooper Rush is, but I think it's going to be very, very interesting to say the least to see how all this pans out on the football field. I can't wait. It's going to be great. He's going to have a great offense. I think that we made some improvements on the defensive side of the ball. We got a new coaching philosophy, got a new coaching staff, special teams, um, coach. I think we're going to do great. The only thing the Dallas Cowboys need to focus on, it's very simple. Don't be worse than last year. Don't be worse than last year. There's nowhere else to go but up. Make the playoffs, get past the first round, get to the second round, win a second round game, get get two playoff wins. That's a win for me. That's simple. I'm not gonna go as far as saying we're gonna win the Super Bowl right now, but our window 
is closing. It's closing. Get to the playoffs. Get a deep run in with this new coaching style, new pieces. And then we can see what our playoff, what our Super Bowl chances are. I'm not going to sit here and say that we're a lot because of the improvements that we've made because it all looks good on paper. We need to see what the product is on the field. We need to see that. So going into my next topic, we're going to take a quick break. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about that last dance. So t- stay tuned for that. Sometimes I dream that he is me. Got to see that's how I dream to be. And we're back. So just like I stated before, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this last dance that aired this past Sunday. I believe we have a total of four more episodes to go through. And I really like the fact that we were able to talk something a little bit more about basketball in this context. I've been in uh, various different groups on Facebook, um, you know, different sports talks on um, other podcasts and I'm really excited um, that we have something to to talk about, some content to talk about. But um, I was talking last night on um, Jay's podcast, the hard parking podcast. If you have not had the opportunity to check out Jay hard parking podcast, check it out. It's a great podcast. I like the way it flows. Very great host. I get a lot of information from him. The funny thing is is that Jay was able to um, help me out with my podcast. Um, I was struggling when I first started with audio. And Jay had some recommendations for my audio. I bought a new microphone and I sent it over. You know, the next thing that I did, the next recording that I had, I sent it over him and he thought it was pretty good. So I felt like I was you know, doing pretty well with the podcast now, trajecting up now. But aside from that, last dance, stay on course. I was upset. Kobe only got five minutes on the show. Very misleading. Very, very misleading because I'm expecting Kobe to have a big spot because I thought the whole entire fifth episode was going to be, you know, basically Kobe and Jordan. Because, I mean, they've been talking about Isaiah and Jordan you know, ever since um, they introduced Isaiah to the show, you know, and now all of a sudden, I mean, we had Kobe on now. I was like, okay, man, finally some Kobe content, man. I've been, I mean, it was kind of like when the first came on, they, they had the uh, In Love and Memory of Kobe Bryant, which kind of stuck to me. It, it was, um, I'm not going to lie, it was, a, it, was a, it was a tearjerker, nevertheless. It was a tearjerker for sure, man. Like, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm a man, I, you know, I held my own, I, I held it together in one month. I have to come in there and see you in there crying. Um, but I held together. But like I said, this episode started in 98. It was the 98 All-Star game. And it starts off with Jordan in the locker room talking trash to the other vets about Kobe, you know, in various different settings. Now, in the locker room, Jordan is seen describing uh, Kobe as the little Laker boy. Burn me a hot. Like I was upset that he was referencing like one of the greatest of all time as just the little Laker boy. And I had to really think from a competitor standpoint, I mean, that's who Jordan was. He was a competitor. And Kobe was, had ambitions to trump him, you know, overachieve and be at just as good as him or better. Now, you know, before um, getting into what he was saying, you know, that just really, like I said, rubbed me the wrong way. Now, so he called him, he was calling him the little Laker boy. Um, he he was critiquing his high volume shooting. You know, as everyone know that he was a very, very high volume shooter, you know, throughout his career. We live and die with Kobe. That was the mentality. Same thing with the Jordan teams. So it was kind of like the pot calling the kettle black whenever he was critiquing his high volume shooting. 
it wasn't until Phil Jackson came on the scene where Michael kind of turned into a distributor, trusting his teammates and things like that. So it rubbed me the wrong way in two different ways. Basically calling out Kobe for being a high volume shooter. And that's what he was. Jordan was a high volume shooter. He also said that if he were on his team, he wouldn't pass him the ball. Going into the game in a timeout, Jordan said, I'm going to make him make his ass work. That's what he said. I'm going to make his ass work on the court. And he also boosted that Kobe couldn't defend his turnaround jumper, which, as everyone knows, that was Kobe's lethal move. So he took that move and perfected it. Like, you look at Jordan and Kobe's turnaround jumper, you know, bar none, it was like the best unguardable shot since the sky hook. I'm going back to Kareem. You know, Magic had the baby hook. Jordan did go on to win the game, you know, getting the MVP trophy with him as well, taking the hardware home. He had about 23 points, but Kobe held his own. He had 18 points, six rebounds, two steals. And this is despite missing the entire fourth quarter. Afterwards, Jordan respectfully told Kobe, I'll see you down the road. So right then and there, he recognized that Kobe had something in him. Kobe, he saw his reflection in Kobe. Looking at him, he was looking at himself. And I've had my issues with Michael Jordan over the, over the years. Have many, many sports debates and topics about this. Kobe and Michael, Kobe and Michael, Kobe and Michael. And I'm going to go on record on this show and say that Kobe might have learned a thing or two from Michael Jordan. I'm going to be honest. Some of the things look a little eerily the same. But when you have a product, a great product, and you're able to take it, and I know I'm going to get a lot of slack from this. I already know it. Saying it, I know I'm going to get a lot of slack. Kobe took a great product and made it better. Kobe if you want to say Kobe was like Jordan, Jordan did win six championships. Kobe won five. Um, Kobe, Jordan is, I think, currently fifth on the list at thirty-two, a little over 32,000 points in 15 seasons. Uh, Kobe, he won the five titles, and he was a, a little over 33,000 points in 20 seasons. Both attacked the rim with high-flying athleticism. Both of them was assassins in the mid-range. They had superior footwork. Both intimidated their opponents with maniacal competitiveness, like maniacal. They're, they both had this competitive edge that was bar none, like the most intense that the NBA has ever seen. You're never going to see this. Like, you don't see this in today's game. So when Kobe retired, that was the last of a breed. You're not going to see that. You see a little bit more fraternizing in anything. Michael and Kobe was not of their cloth. You're not going to see that with these two players. Both attracted various forms of different praises and criticism for the demanding and confrontational leadership. Jordan spent his first six seasons learning to elevate his teammates before the Bulls eventually upgraded their talent. Kobe spent the first eight years learning how to coexist with another all-star before eventually becoming the team's first option. With Jordan's career, it was cut short with two retirements. Bryant's was cut short because of the three seasons with his injuries between 2013 and 2015. People think that the Jordan and Kobe comparisons were a little slanted towards Kobe, I mean Mike, I mean Jordan, but Kobe believed that he was Michael's equal. And I do too, if not better. Now, if you go, now if I put both of, both of these overall resumes together and you look at both of them 
I mean, they both had illustrious careers. Kobe was chasing that six ring hard. And he went on record to say that it, it affected him that he wasn't able to capture a six title. He had a couple injuries. He got older. But it was all about six to five. But the overall body of work, close. Close. Now, plenty matchups between them. They had about eight head-to-head matchups. It started when Kobe scored only five points in his rookie season and ended with him scoring 55 during Jordan's final season in Washington, which I talked about that a lot. Like, I've, I've had so many countless debates about that. So we started off with the first meeting, five points for Kobe. And then the second, the last meeting that they had, which was the eighth, was um, the 55-point game from Kobe um, during uh, Jordan's final season in, uh, with the Wizards. And it wasn't easy to get Jordan to sign with Nike. In the last dance, we even learned that he didn't even want to visit the campus. His mother encouraged him to go listen. And we all know the impact a mother has. If it wasn't for Dolores Jordan, Michael Jordan, Air Jordan shoes would not even exist. Because Nike, the one that, they, the one that came out with the, uh, the name Air Jordan. Could you imagine going to uh, the store today to go buy a pair of Michael Jordan shoes for Adidas or Converse? No. You, 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 couldn't, you couldn't be able to imagine that because it's hard for me to even imagine that. I mean, considering how great Michael Jordan was, could these companies be able to withhold the value that his shoes currently have right now with these companies? Because you look at these companies now, I mean, they're, you know, Mike, I think uh, Nike's, a, um, you know, gross way more than these, these other companies are now, not to say that they're not, you know, on the rise because they do have some great shoes, but I mean, Nike, like there's the checks over stripes. I, I would, you know, I always like to rock with Nikes and, me being a Kobe guy, Kobe has Nike. And I think he started off with Adidas, I think. Yes, yes. I think his first shoe uh, was Adidas. I believe his, the, uh, the crazy, um, I think he had the crazy eights and then he had the, um, the shoe that like moon boot. I didn't get those shoes. I think I've, I've never had those shoes, but I, I did have um, all of his um, Kobe 14s, which when I had learned that he passed, I had, I, I have like nine different colors. And so I would, you know, basically tribute each day to Kobe by wearing a different color, colorway of the 14s, but not to get off subject, just kind of want to share that. Now, just going back to, um, you know, Jordan, not want to take this, this meeting with Nike, it just was really crazy that his mother, you know, basically urged him to, you know, go even take a meeting with them. Now in this, in this documentary, it, it took a break from showing us uh, dominant performances. I, th- I think it, I believe it was the fifth episode of the 10 part documentary series. I, I believe it was, but like I said, it was previously reported that Jordan didn't want to take me sign with Nike. Um, and that came to light in this show. Um, it did provide a lot of context uh, of understanding why he wouldn't uh, want to sign with um, Nike that, um, that we didn't know today. So just going back to 1984, Nike was not generating the revenue stream that it's doing today. And they were widely known as a company that sold track shoes. Also, this was during the time that Converse was the official um, partner of the NBA. And Converse was the shoe worn by players like Magic, Isaiah, Bird, 
So naturally, Jordan, as a rookie at the time, wanted to join the, the roster of elite talent. A lot of – so I want to provide a lot of context about what I unpacked from this show. Jordan really wanted to fit in with the guys his rookie year. He was not the fierce competitor that, that you see now today. He was more so trying to, you know, basically be liked by the vets. And so he wanted he 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 gravitated towards Adidas, but you know, knowing that the partner was Converse, he, you know, was you know, wanted to join them too. So, you know, of course, as a rookie, you know, he wanted to be in lead company. However, um, he said in the documentary, Converse didn't think a rookie was going to become bigger than Magic or Bird. So Converse was out of the picture. So then Jordan had his sights set on Adidas. And while the company with, you know, the three stripes, like I said, stripes, checks over stripes for me, they would have loved to have uh, Michael Dasan with them making a basketball shoe was impo- was impossible for them at the time. That's where, that's where Nike actually comes in. The great David Falk, and I say great because he's just as accountable for Michael's career and where it went as, as Michael was, in my opinion. David Falk wanted him to sign with Nike. But Jordan wasn't hearing it. He didn't want to do it. Now, he stated, I wanted Michael to go with Nike because they were the upstart. David said in the documentary, I couldn't even get him to get on the damn phone. He wouldn't even get on the plane to visit the campus. So he said he called his parents. Then that's when things changed, when he called his mother. And we all know you call a dude's mama, it's on. So I've had like several many situations where I've been in relationships and when the woman can't get to, I guess, get compliance from me, they call my mama. And I know when I get that phone call because it's almost instant after an argument, I get that phone call from mama. And the first thing she's like, boy, what's wrong with you? I already know she know everything. So I tell my side of the story and she never sides with me, never. So if she ever listened to the to this show, she's she's definitely gonna definitely hear my take on her not taking my side in some of these situations that I've been in. But I don't want to get too far into it. But yeah, David Falk called his mom. So just going back to uh to to that conversation. So Jordan's mother, um, she told him to at least um he needed to hear hear them out. So Michael's mother told him that he needs to at least hear them out. Jordan said, my mother said, you're going to listen. You may not like it, but you're going to listen. She made me get on that plane and go listen. Jordan stated. Now, part of that deal, the agent negotiated with Nike was ensuring that um, Jordan would have his own signature shoe, which was unprecedented to ask even by today's standard because there is no guarantee that a player would even sell a significant amount of shoes to make it worth it. However, um, David Falk was trying to build Jordan in the image of, of an individual sports athlete who could be their own brand. He was a visionary because you think about what Jordans are doing today. Billions of dollars are being spent on this shoe. Now, um, the, um, the firm ProServe had a lot of very high profile tennis clients. You had uh, Jimmy Connors, Stan Smith, Arthur Ashe. Um, now, Arthur Ashe had his own shoe, but it was a tennis shoe. 
um, he also had his own tennis racket. So the strategy was to try to take a team sport player um, and treat him more like a golfer, a boxer, a tennis player. And the very first deal um, would have been with uh, shoes. So Nike agreed to give him Jordan his own signature shoe, as well as a uh, $250,000 contract as a rookie. As a rookie in 1984, $250,000 contract just in shoe deal. And that time, that was a lot of money with an unproven rookie. Now, Nike's expectation was at the end of the um, of a four year um, was okay. Nike's expectation was at the uh, the end of a um, I think four year plan, and they hoped to um, to have sales uh, over three million dollars of uh, Air Jordans. Now, they hoped to just get to three million dollars. They hope again to sell three million dollars in the first year. That shoe soared to $126 million. Not only did the Jordan 1 model sell extremely well when they first released, they transcended basketball. Two years after that, Spike Lee made sure his iconic character, Mars Blackman, and She's Gotta Have It, was wearing Air Jordans. That catapulted. It's got to be the shoes ad campaign that made Jordan shoes an even hotter commodity. Now it's been about 22 years since Jordan suited up for the Bulls. Just last year in December, his brand earned its first billion dollar quarter. Had Jordan not signed with Nike in 1984, he likely still would have built a, a brand, you know, based on his dominant play. But if it weren't for his mother, like I stated before, the power of a mother, we'd be sitting here talking about the Adidas instead of the Nikes. And I, and I, like, I, I've got, me personally, I got some Adidas shoes, but, and I've had, like I said, I have, I've had Jordans, but I got more, more, more so Kobe's now, but I had Jordans. The last time I actually had Jordan, I did actually share this in Jay's, um, podcast the other day um i had like maybe eight pair of jordans and they they were all stolen all my shoes were stolen um and i I never i just never replaced them you know the hundreds of dollars just wasted and i looked at it as a sign i ended up replenishing all my shoes with Kobe's after that, because you know, everybody was buying Jordans and I was, and you don't, you, regardless of what the shoe is, it's a basketball shoe, but you do not wear Jordans playing basketball. Anybody know you don't go buy Jordans to go hoop in. You want to go get you some fresh jeans, brand new Jordans, make sure you get some, uh, some cleaner, you know, wherever you go, foot locker, foot action, get you some cleaner, the brush on the end of it, and you're good to go. The towel, that's what we used to do, we used to do in high school. You know, we'd be walking around with the uh, the shoe cleaner, towel. We had towel in the back pocket. But um, yeah, that was it. I didn't I didn't get any more Jordans after that. I ended up uh, getting a bunch of Kobe's after that, and I, I just never got any more Jordans. I mean. They're just, I just never got any more, you know, and then I started falling out of uh, love of, uh, of the Jordan persona. And I started more so gravitating to Kobe. That's pretty much what happened with me with that situation. So I just never did get any more, um, get any more Kobe's. I mean, Jordan, I'm sorry. But I want to end the show on that note. I do have some um, a variety of different guests lined up to be on the show soon, hopefully. I do have uh, some appearances on some other podcasts. I want to thank everybody that support the Out of Bounds podcast. This podcast would not be possible without your support. It's been tremendous. 
to be able to have this opportunity to be able to have this platform to be able to have guests on to be, have people reach out to me it's gratifying to see that the work that i've been putting in the late nights editing or not going you know to the wayside the support that i'm getting from people that i didn't even think that i would be able to get support from or supporting me i have one paid subscriber check my email one day and i was just going through my email inbox and said saw that i had a subscription of $4.99 and i put this information out on my facebook page to see if i can get support for the the, the work that i'm putting in and i had one person pay for a subscription. And honestly, if I do get more paid subscriber, I'll be happy. I mean, overly overjoyed with happiness because that's my goal is to to have this podcast to take me places that a job wouldn't be able to do. Now, I do have a full-time job. I manage a gym, a local gym in my area. I love to do it. It's It's a passion of mine. But I also want to, you know, work on building something that I built from myself. And that's where this podcast comes in at. I'm very, very appreciative of all the support. I do this for the people that support me. I thank you for that. And I'm going to continue to grind, continue to, to work, to make sure that I make this the best damn show that you ever listen to. You can reach out to me on Facebook. Um, I do have an Out of Bounds Sports Podcast group, two groups on Facebook. Um, I'm at out underscore of underscore bounds underscore sports podcast on uh, Instagram. Um, You can find me on Twitter, Out of Bounds SPO1. So you you wouldn't spell out the sports. You would just say SPO one, and that's my um my Twitter handle. Yeah, you know if you're not a part of the group, just you know send me an invite. I'm pretty good about accepting those quickly. Follow me on Instagram. You know like my posts, share them, share my episodes. I'm I'm working. I'm grinding to get episodes out, and the support that you that that you're giving me um is what's continuing my efforts to to make this a great show i'm not an expert i'm not an analyst i don't have a background i don't have a journalist background it's just me on a computer on a microphone giving my take and my perspective on sporting events and news so i i really really put in a lot of work to research, to put a show together. Something I've never been able to do, didn't even think I could do it. No lie, I, was, I, I, I listen to podcasts every day. There's not a day go by, I don't listen to a sports podcast. It's where I get a lot of my sports content from. And then I just research and put it into my own perspective. And then I just debate it with other people. So we was in this, um, this quarantine phase of, um, that was going on with the, the nation, with the pandemic of the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. And the first week I was off work, I was like, oh my God. Like, at first I was like, okay, this is cool. You know, it's like a vacation. I was off. And it went to week two. And I was like, I got to do something. I got to feel like I'm being productive, that I'm being a productive citizen of society. So I said, you know what? I should just start that podcast that I've been putting off. And I didn't do this on purpose. It happened to land on my oldest son's birthday. Shout out to my boy, the Corian Harrison. March the 30th was the birth of my podcast. March the 30th was the birth of my son. I never forget. Just because of that. And you know, like, he's been very supportive of me, too. He'll send me a uh, text message and say, man, I'm, I'm proud of you, Dad. You know, having that 
from your children, you know, it's the, the most rewarding thing ever to have that support from them, to know that your influence and your, your drive and everything is viewed positively by your children. If you're not, if you have children, you know, that's what you that's what you live for. That's what you have breath in your lungs to do. And, and as long as you have that breath in your lungs, you want to make sure that you're making a positive impact on your children. They're, they're going to, they, they're going to be um, out there in the world standing on your principles. So look at yourself in the mirror. What are your principles? What did you instill in them? What are you going to leave them? And that's what I constantly ask myself every day. What is my impact? What am I leaving them? And I just want them to be proud of me. I just want them to know that I love them and that I'm going to continue to, to um, support them as they support me. I have uh, three children, um, Decorian is the oldest and I have uh, my middle boy, Christian, and my baby girl is Chloe. Um, love them to death. I would do anything in my power to make sure that they have whatever they need from me. I'm going to be there for them. And I'm just happy that I have their support in what I'm doing. That's our show for today. Stay tuned. I got a lot of stuff coming up and we are out. If you love the Out of Bounds Sports Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time.